This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. I recently stumbled across, um, I, I love these question books, and this particular book was giving some penetrating questions to ask someone battling mental health issues. So it was a real uh, kind of deep dive into, as people are dealing with some sort of mental anguish or mental hurt. And what I love was all the questions that it had. So like in pro- approaching someone with empathy, for instance, they asked, how long have you known the person you're asking? Is the person a close friend? What do you already know about them and what are they currently experiencing? How might you approach a friend so that both of you feel comfortable? <clears throat> are you concerned about their or your own safety? So these are all just huge questions that inform like how we act, right? And from this, the questions to ask in the actual approach were things like, how are you feeling? How would you like things to be different? I know like this, something has happened in your life. Is there anything you wanna talk about? So in this article, we were urged uh, to answer some more questions related to next steps and on and on it went. And uh, it reminded me of an important truth, a powerful truth, that knowing questions to ask in a situation can be empowering knowing the right things to ask at the right time. That can be empowering. We've been thinking about that even in this short series in Job about how we can have tact, how we can have, how we can ask the right thing at the right times. Uh, The reality is sometimes we're the one in the actual situation, right? So we're not coming alongside to care, give care to someone. We're the ones who are actually struggling and we have all the questions. Uh, We're not thinking about moving to help someone else. There's questions that we have. And you've undoubtedly experienced these types of questions if you, as you've gone through stuff in this world. Um, <clears throat> I've dealt with a couple of these last week, like wondering, uh, I've, I've dealt with this in the past week, you know, just, God, why is this happening? Um, why now? Why is this happening now? And what are the next moves? And this is just like a kid who got a tummy issue in the middle of the night and threw up on the floor. So I'm crying out to God, why is this happening? Why now? What do you want me to do next? Um, I don't know if I can clean this up or not. Meg? <laughs> so, um, so the emergence of questions isn't like a respecter of suffering. It's not like in just the really, really, really bad stuff, we're going to have questions. It could be that in the really, really normal mundane stuff, we're going to have questions. It's no respecter of sufferings. Questions are gonna come to us. So whether it's a minor issue, whether it's some life-altering or life-changing issue, questions are gonna come. And this is what we've, this is what Job's experiencing in this chapter we're gonna look at today in chapter 19. We've been building up to this point by seeing uh, some things in the book of Job. We've seen the big picture of the book of Job. We've gotten some understanding of Job's situation. We've heard him lament. We've noticed how he's responding to suffering. And last time, we looked at some ways that we can speak the truth in unhelpful patterns. So there's ways that we can actually come alongside to help others that even even though what we might wanna say is truthful, it's not helpful. So um, we called that concept tact, and we uh, tried to have some applications of how we can better be the church to one another. And today, Job's gonna respond to all that unhelpful, lacking tact kind of stuff that we saw last week in chapter 18, He's gonna um, respond to that. And as this emerges for us, I hope that you can see some good news in this, in this chapter. 
if you're here today and maybe you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, what are some of the questions that you have in suffering? And um, you might think, well, I don't have faith. It's kind of weird for you to ask me that. But I'm saying even people of faith have, these, have questions in the midst of suffering. So what, what are the questions that you have? Are they satisfying or helpful to you in any way? Are they, are they helping you? What, what are the encouragements that you find apart from God? So I can think of like, well, uh, when is this going to be end? You know, like, why do I have to face this? Uh, but if, if you don't have God to land on, I just want you to consider that. What are the questions you have apart from God? What, where can you run? And even if you are a person of faith, how does good news loom in your questions? Do you stifle, I, I think this is the case too for us in the, in the church world, maybe uh, do you stifle your real questions or are you failing to be honest so that you can somehow be impressive to God? Uh, none of us would dare admit that, that we think God treats us a certain way according to our works, but that's kind of how we're trying to posture the questions or does anyone else just fight self-righteousness like I do? Um, like we, we try to posture the questions like, well, I, I want to be respectful because he's God. And deep down inside my heart, which if I pause long enough to consider, I know God knows my heart, but I'm trying to hide what's really going on in there because that's shameful or that's not the, maybe not what I think is the right move. Are you able to bluntly be honest with God, knowing that he's big enough to handle your questions? Now, in some faith circles, questions are discouraged. Like the, you, if you question anything, man, it's time to go back and go back to Bethel. Let's figure this out, you know. And I'm saying the fact that this chapter is in the Bible should cause us to be okay with some questions. Um, this is the kind of God we have that he's bringing, he's bringing us along. Um, he's guiding us in this. So today we're going to see some questions emerge in the midst of suffering. And I'm hoping you're encouraged to draw near to God with honesty in light of this. And so I invite you to join me as we see three questions to wrestle with in suffering. It's almost a tongue tire there. Three questions to wrestle with in suffering. And let me read uh, Job 19 and then we'll dig into it. So Job 19, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So um, Hebrew poetry, here we go. Then Job answered and said, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These 10 times you've cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there's no justice. He's walled up my way so that I cannot pass and he's set darkness upon my paths. He's stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I'm gone. And my hope, he has pulled up like a tree. He's kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They've cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He's put my brothers far from me. And those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I've become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I'm a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. 
All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how we will punish him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is judgment. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So three questions to wrestle with in suffering. And so that's how I'm breaking down this chapter. Three questions to wrestle with in suffering. And first of all, the question that emerges in verses 1 through 12 is, how long will this torment last? How long will this torment last? So remember, the specific situation was the tactless approach that Bildad took in Job 18 to give Job some hope. And here's how that went. You must have done something wrong to get this suffering. And people suffering for wrong like you, Job, are going to hell. So be encouraged. That was Bildad's encouragement in chapter 18. You're going to hell because you've done something wrong. And so, I mean, just the first question we have to ask, like right out of the gate in verse 1 is, if someone told you that you must have done something wrong to deserve this, and uh, we know where wrong people go, they're going to hell, and so you're going to hell. Um, how would you respond to that? I mean, what, what would rise up in your heart? Now, uh, thankfully, your eyes response um, isn't recorded in Scripture. Job's is, right here. Um, and Job's response is recorded here for us so we can learn from it. And he begins with questions about the torment as it relates to his unhelpful friends. So that's how this passage begins in in chapter 19. They are tormenting him and they're breaking him to pieces with their words. In verse 3, we have a figure of speech called, um, when it speaks of 10 times. Okay, so it's not saying that we should go back and try to find the 10 times that Bildad spoke wrongly to him. It's It's an idiom used in scripture. Back in Genesis 31, we saw this idiom when... Um, I think Jacob's alleging that Laban's wronged him these 10 times. Well, he's not meaning that it's been literally 10 times. He's just saying like, you're wearing me out here. <laughs> like it's been a lot. It's like 10 times. It's like a baker's dozen. That's kind of what it's going, that's kind of the idiom that's employed here. It's just often. Um, they've often cast reproach on Job and they've wronged him. And Job's kind of like, okay, well, let's talk about this. You think I'm going to hell? Okay, uh, let's... Let's suppose what you allege in chapter 18 is true. It doesn't change the fact that I'm wrong. So this is how he's saying his friends are unhelpful. After all, if we draw the magnifying glass to Job's wrongdoings or we disgrace him in debate, it doesn't change the fact that God is the responsible if what they're saying is true. So Job's responding to that. And so he's speaking of God's actions here. Uh, that's what's how he introduced that. And then in verse 7, he's crying out. In verses 7 through 12, you're going to hell. And Job's saying, there's actually a hell here, and it's inside my own heart. Um, I'm trying to process this, and there is hell right here. 
Um, I'm crying out violence, but nothing changes. I'm calling for help, but there's no justice. In, in a sense, God, God, he's saying, God's walled me up, I'm stuck. God's the one who's darkened the path. God's the one who's dealt these blows. In other words, Job's leaning into the reality that God has sovereignly allowed this to come my way. And I'm broken down, and, and he says there, uh, I'm broken down in verse 10, my hope, he's pulled up like a tree. So I was thinking like an imagery that works for us is like a tornado running with a Kansas storm in the late spring, pulling up a tree from the root. That's what God's done to Job. That's how he feels. Just on the inside, I'm, I'm torn apart. So God's wrath has been kindled against Job and it's as if he's God's opponent. So language of verse 12, using battle language, God has sent his troops in, his armies have come. They've laid a ramp on my life. They've walked up that ramp and they've encamped around me to defeat me and I'm going down. And this reflects the torment that we feel in suffering. So how long will this last? Is there gonna be any relief? Is there gonna be any mercy? So Lamentations 112. Um, you, you ought to maybe read Lamentations as we're going through Job. It's really fascinating. Uh, you could just write down the reference. Lamentations 1.12, Jeremiah puts it this way. Is it nothing to you, he, like he's calling out to the friends, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. In other words, like I'm going through hell here. My concern is not, that I'm going to hell. <laughs> My concern's that I'm in hell right now because of what I feel. And when is this gonna end? So on one level, I wanna encourage you to be honest with God in suffering. Uh, so you might say, well, we've already talked about lament. I know I can be honest with him. I, I don't really don't think you do. I mean, I, I've grown up in the church. I, I've been around this my whole life and I can assure you that people are not honest with God as they need to be. There's a lot of posturing. There's a lot of whatever. And I just wanna say to like, are you for real? Like you're going through an awful mess. It's okay to cry out to God honestly. Um, so on one level, I wanna encourage you to ask that of God in suffering. How long, O oh Lord? How long are you gonna let this go on? And some of you are that way about maybe stuff that's happening in our world or whatever, as it affects you. Some of you are battling ongoing illnesses. You're trying to persevere. And you're saying, oh, I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna bother God with this. No, bother him and bluntly say to him, I'm dealing with this, how long can it go on? Are you the God of the universe or not? Do you have the sovereignty to pull your armies away or not? How long is this torment gonna last in my heart? Because I can't take much longer. Say that to him. And he, I promise you, he's big enough to hear that. He's not gonna say, oh, you have little faith, how dare you? You don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm saying in the moment, this book is telling us to be honest with him, to lament. Now, lament is not like, um, like that you're faithless. It's appealing to God for all that you know about him to be true. How long will this torment last? He's got an answer for that in his timing. It might be elusive for us, but he's got an answer for that. So cry out to him. And I've prayed that, I've prayed that way for Cole and Rachel. I mean, haven't we persevered for that? How long is this torment gonna last? God, what are you doing? 
my God, you're powerful enough. You could, it's over, right? That second, you could do that. What are you doing here? I don't understand. How long is the torment gonna last? So be honest with him. And if you're walking alongside others as they suffer, let's be true friends and not, let's not seek to add insult to injuries that they've already experienced. So we're gonna deal with this in the next section, but um, just be aware of that too. Like, again, it's kind of back to that issue of, well, let me straighten you out there. I think some of your theology is askew if you're asking God, how long is this gonna last? No, let, let the sufferer be honest with God. Don't try to shush them. Just draw out their heart and say, I'm with you in this suffering. I don't know what God's timing is. A lot of times I'll say that. I don't know what God's up to. I know he's good. <laughs> I, I don't know much else. Like, I'm sorry, but he's good. And finally, I just, <laughs> directing you to, this is, this kind of desperation we see in these first 12 verses sounds a lot like Jesus in the garden to me, where Jesus is crying and he's saying, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's basically, and he's God in the flesh, he's basically saying, God, how long is this torment gonna last? Am I gonna have to face the torment of your wrath? How long is this gonna happen? So I say all that to say Jesus is a savior that you can run to. He's one who understands. If you're caught in the timing quandary, if you're just saying, God, how long is this torment gonna last? Run to Jesus. He's been there, he knows that. He knows what it is to cry out to God in agony and say, how long am I gonna have to face this? He's there, he's with you in the storm. He's, he's a savior you can run to when the darkness isn't lifting on your timetable or maybe even when God seems to be attacking you, will you turn to him? And so again, ask, how long will this torment last? So that's the first question, how long will this torment last? Secondly, another question that we get in this passage is, uh, who is with me in this suffering? Who is with me in this suffering? So verses 13 through 20, um, Job's response to Bildad continues with a scathing rebuke of his friends. Um, and how they haven't really been much help to him at all. Uh, he's feeling very much alone. Uh, you might, the second question really answers, like, who's got my back? Who's gonna be with me? Uh, one writer puts it, Job feels that God has ambushed and decimated him. That's how he's feeling. Uh, he feels like God's cruelly isolated Job. So look at the failure of his public friends. That's I broke it down. His brothers and others who knew him, they're far away. So they're far away. They've distanced themselves. Relatives have failed, as have his close family. Look at verse 15. Guests in his house, maidservants count him as a stranger. So he's like a foreigner to them. He's calling out to his servants and he's getting nothing. I mean, can you imagine how frustrating that is? Calling out to your servants, like I'm paying you an honest wage to do this and you're not even answering to me. You're not even answering me. What's going on? I mean, I'm, he's utterly abandoned, even by people he's paying to help him. He's alone. So he's pleading and he's getting nothing. So um, it's like what we all know. Our Facebook friends have failed us again, right? <laughs> you know, so um, like we know Facebook friends or if you're younger, your be real peeps have exposed themselves for who they are. Um, they're not much help. And that's part of Job's problem. Like he's dealing with all these relationships he has in the public arena and none of them are helpful. 
none of them are getting it, all that he's going through. They're lacking. He's also seen the failure, failure of close friends and family. Look at verse 17. Now, I know uh, this is just kind of, to me, it's a comedic moment, a comedy moment in the middle of this. Verse 17 where, <laughs> my breath is strange to my wife. Okay, this is Hebrew poetry. Um, you know, most spouses love their spouse's breath, right? Perfect, you guys got it. And so Job is saying that my spouse's breath, that my breath is strange to my wife. And you might think, well, okay. And then Job says, well, well speaking of strange smells, um, my siblings believe that I'm a stench. <laughs> Do you see that? So he's kind of going on this imagery in verse 17. So I thought that was just a nice comedic moment of break for us, like in the seriousness of this. Oh yeah, like I don't want to smell my wife's breath in the morning and I'm sure she doesn't want to smell mine until after the coffee. That's way better, the coffee breath, right? And then I'm a stench to the children of my own mother. <laughs> like, in other words, my brother's coming up going, hey, how's it going? Well, uh, okay, you kind of stink to high heaven. Um, so the point is that those whom Job loves have turned against him. All the people that he should be able to lean on for support, he has none. He's alone. And so then it concludes there in, verses, uh, in verse 20. My bones st stick to my skin and flesh. In other words, like I'm, rotting, I'm close to rotting here. Um, bones sticking to his flesh means he's pretty dehydrated. Has anybody ever had blood drawn or had a surgery recently? Um, they want those nice lubricated veins that they can just, okay, I don't want to make anyone pass out today. So... Um, but hydration is the key, right? And Job's saying, I'm dehydrated, I'm dead. Like, I, nobody's helping me, I'm all alone. Nobody's here to stand by me. My wife, my breath is strange to her because she's not anywhere to be found. We know what Job's wife is up to. And then my, my children, my mother, they think I smell. And like to make, to kind of the final word in verse 20, I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Or another way we could put it is, he's hanging on by his gums. Which, I just had a wisdom tooth pulled, and um, I can tell you, it doesn't feel good to chew anything with that area back there. Um, when we're hanging on by our gums, this is not, like, pleasant. So hanging on by the skin of his teeth, I mean, it's just, he's alone. And so the question is, who's got your back? In the midst of suffering, I think it's a legitimate question to ask. Who's got my back? Um, in military, don't they say that? Who's, who's got your six? You know, who's got your back? Who's on your side? And this is such an essential question in suffering. And people will inevitably fail you. So, I mean, that's the challenge. So where are you gonna run? Where are you gonna run? Now, I wanna make some applications about how, how the church is so great, and I mean, that's, I want us to be better. And I think what, a, what we experience here in our life together in this body is um, we do authentically care for one another, and yet still people fall through the cracks. We're still not perfect at that. Um, you know, we wanna handle people that are going through horrendous situations well with integrity but we don't wanna lean into our integrity as kind of like, well, we've always done it right, so you can trust us. No, we haven't. We're, we're just like you, we're trying to limp along and 
and serve well. Um, so I'm leaving question, the application of question number two hanging because I, I think it's a calling for us to be better as the church, um, to not abandon people when they're going through this. Um, it is going to happen, but who are you going to lean on? And this question's a lot like what Tom read for us from Rom, Romans 8. Um, if God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, I hope you know that God has your back. I hope you know that you're not alone. Even if you think that God's somehow sending the suffering your way, he's, he's got wise reasons for what he's doing that you know, I don't know that I perfectly have my mind wrapped around yet, even in the book of Job, but he's the one that we can run to. And that's where this third question comes in verses 21 through 29. We can turn to God. And this is the third and final question in our passage is, I know God will vindicate me. I know God will vindicate me, but when? I know God will vindicate me, but when? So with all that we've seen in these previous verses and chapters, we now see God turn, we see Job turn to God for mercy and he expresses a longing for vindication. So in verses 21 and 22, it's a cry for mercy. Job's begging his friends to give him mercy. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me. He's begging them, please come through. Oh, you, my friends, in verse 21, he's still addressing the friends, but he's communicating to them a longing he has that they're not gonna be able to fulfill. They're not gonna get this right. For the hand of God has touched me and he's saying to his friends, why do you like God pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? So he's, he's reaching the end of his rope here. Um, again, he's saying that the hand of God has touched him. And I just wanna add that caveat. In the book of Job, we know Job doesn't, that Satan's hand has done this, right? We know that from Job one and two. God's not the one after you, it's Satan. That's what, you know, like, Throughout this, we ought to just be pulling our hair out like, it's so simple, Satan's the one doing this. But um, God's allowed Satan to do this. So there's, wanting, there's some vindication that Job's wanting to come. He's longing for someone to come through for him. And he continues with this admonition that death is coming. That's verses 23 and 24. Um, he's kind of spilling out his last will and testament. That's why, that's why it's so resolute. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Um, Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. In other words, I want this to be my last will and testament. I want this to be what endures for people. If I die tomorrow, this is what I want written down. This is what I want people to get. This longing for mercy that's met in God. And Job wants it to be inscribed. And what he wants inscribed is this, that confidence, his confidence in God, God is gonna come through. He has a confidence in God coming through. He knows, I mean, this is so good. It's built up to this in verse 25. I know, like, I'm gonna die. My friends have all failed me. There's nothing I have. Have mercy on me, you can't do that. Uh, that I had pen, I could write this down. I just have one confidence at the end of my days. And that's verse 25. I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. He's got a re he knows that his redeemer lives. And look at the way it's worded. I the Redeemer will stand upon the dust at the end of Job's life in all time. He's gonna be the one standing on the dust. The question of the passage is, how much longer will Job have to wait for this? 
when is God gonna come through and like, when is the redeemer gonna be seen and when is he gonna come through for Job? When will God do his thing? So it's from dust and earth that Job was made and to dust and earth that he's gonna return and he feels like that could be soon, any moment. And in this dust stands his confidence, a redeemer, someone who stands. Now, if we think that the timing of Job is around the book of, the book of Abraham, um, around the timing of Abraham, something like this, um, this notion of a kinsman redeemer isn't fully fleshed out yet for Job. Like it's not been revealed yet. It's gonna come in Leviticus 25 and Ruth 4. Uh, but for those of us who are Bible readers, it has already come for us. And so we see this notion of this kinsman redeemer coming near to Job. Um, Job knows this redeemer will vindicate him. And Job's question is when? He knows that this redeemer will arise in the court of public opinion to clear him. That's what vindicating means, clear. So if you vindicate, it's too weird for you. Just put clear in your notes. Um, vindicator, clear him. So there's some, throughout the scriptures, there's a lot of verses that talk about this is the work of the redeemer in the Old Testament, this vindication. So uh, you can jot down these references. Psalm 119, 153 to 154. Um, the psalmist is writing, look on my affliction and deliver me for I don't forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. So there's the pleading of his cause goes along with redeeming him. Or in Proverbs 23 verses 10 and 11, we're commanded, don't move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. And then here's the explanation in verse 11, Proverbs 23, 11. For their redeemer is strong and he will plead their cause against you. He will make this right. He's not gonna abandon you. Or Jeremiah 50, that's 5-0, verses 33 and 34. Jeremiah 50, thus says the Lord of hosts, the people of Israel are oppressed and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. But verse 34, the redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name and he will surely plead their cause that he may give rest to the earth and unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. In other words, he's gonna come through for his people. That's what he does as the redeemer. He's pleading their cause. Or Lamentations 3, verses 58 and 50, through 59. You've taken up my cause, O God. You've redeemed my life. You've seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. This is what the redeemer does. So Job is confident that God has him. And so he says back in uh, verse 26 even, that after his skin is destroyed in his flesh, he will see God. He's gonna see him for himself. His eyes are not gonna rest on another. He knows that this redeemer is gonna come through for him. Even though his heart faints within him with all that he's suffering, he knows God's gonna come through. God's gonna plead my cause. God's gonna rescue me. He's gonna do this. And then, <laughs> maybe this is the, one of the most amazing parts of Job, like answering his friends in the last two verses there. <laughs> If they're still planning on how to pursue him or they're executing punishment of wrath towards him and they refuse to give Job grace, in other words, Job's saying like, you wanna keep making this about me and my failures and you don't wanna give me grace in the midst of my suffering? Um, God will indeed act 
accordingly to vindicate me. So, um, wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there's a judgment. In other words, God's going to get this right. Make sure you're on the right side of history. <laughs> you know, right so, make sure you're on the right side of the history of my suffering because God's going to get this right. You better tread very carefully. I mean, so it's like Job. Really, I mean, that's a great jab right at the end, right? It's almost like he pulls a little dagger out of his sock and jabs it underneath their throat. Got it? God's got me. And I think this is kind of, uh, we, we see this throughout the Bible, not actually stabbing people with a knife. That's a bad thing, okay? Um, I want to be clear here. Um, this is why Paul, just we see this encouragement over the Bible to, to not take matters into our own hands, but to leave room for the wrath of God. Um, because God will vindicate his people. He will come through. So um, I know Travis Kelsey has told us all, like at the celebration party, you gotta fight for your right to party. Or um, whatever he's coming up with this week. I mean, I didn't see all the Kelsey, Kelseyisms. Um, I know we instinctively feel like, like we got to fight for our right, you know. No one else is standing up for us. What if I told you God was standing up for you? Would that be enough? I mean, would you be able to go to sleep at night knowing that God was going to vindicate you, that God was going to fight your cause? I think that's what's going on here. It's easy to fight for our right in this world as if this world is everything. It would be easy for Job to fight for everything that he's experiencing in the moment as if that's everything. But he's saying, no, I'm, as I draw my dying breath, there's only one thing that I have confidence in that when... My life fades away and it's just dust left. Right there, my Redeemer is going to stand and plead my cause. He's going to vindicate me. And I think he's looking forward that there's a Redeemer coming who will trample death with his life and ministry. I mean, Jesus is going to be marching straight to that dust all of his life. And when he dies on the third day, he's going to stand up right, on that, right in that dust and say, my people have vindicated. That's why in Romans 4, Paul says that Christ was raised for our justification. In other words, it's the final hammer of vindication for God's people that he has risen from the dead. There's nothing else we can rest in. He's got this. Our Redeemer lives. And so I think it's right that Handel just couples that. I know my Redeemer lives. At last he'll stand on the earth. I know he couples that right to Jesus' resurrection. He knows this is the case. So will you have confidence in God? when God allows all the props of this world to be taken away from you in suffering, will you have confidence that God will still make it right? Will you be able to look to him and say, God, I know you're gonna vindicate this, but when? When are you gonna come through? So will you put your trust in him and how he comes through for you, even in the midst of suffering, that God will vindicate? He will plead his cause, like the hymn writer alludes to. Are you able to say that when the death dew lies cold on your brow, if ever I loved you, my Jesus, it's now. He's got this. He will vindicate you. When you're going through suffering or trauma and you can't believe, God, where are you? In the moment, if you're a believer, have confidence. He's got this. He's not abandoning you. He will vindicate you. That's all Job leaned on for confidence right in this moment. My Redeemer will stand at last on the earth. And standing is a huge deal in courtroom too. That's why all that connecting to the pleading our cause. It's like God's gonna show up in the courtroom and say, um, really, we're gonna talk about this? You know, my client is clear. 
look at my hands, <laughs> look at my feet. Like my client is free and clear. I'm pleading his cause right now with my life, with my death and my resurrection. What else you got? <laughs> you know, so this is the kind of confidence we have as believers in the midst of suffering, the kind of questions we have. Okay, man, we gotta go. Um, three questions that we've wrestled, we wrestle with in suffering. How long will this torment last? Who's with me in this suffering? I know God will vindicate me, but when? So as we wrap up this morning, what is your confidence in suffering? Um, we've dealt with all kinds of relevant questions and I wonder how you're processing what you're trusting in times of suffering. Where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your confidence? Um, the Bible and one going through suffering today is offering you hope. Job is offering you hope. And he's saying that there's a redeemer who stands in the dust of death. That's at the center of our faith. Right at the center of Christianity is a redeemer who's standing in the dust of the mess of life. In all the dust of death. And he's inviting you to escape all the mess and come to him. So will you? I mean, even if your suffering leads you to death, who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? Today, will you turn from all your other confidences to go all in with Jesus? To say, man, I could, there's a thousand things I could build on. Um, there's a thousand things I could rest in. But there's only one who is gonna be standing at the end in the death, in the dust. And it's my redeemer. I'm gonna put all my confidence in him. That's what the Bible's inviting you to. And the Bible calls your response to this belief or trust. That's what faith is. It's putting your confidence there. It's saying, I can't really figure all this out, but I'm going all in with Jesus. I believe him. I trust him. So don't lean in on getting some proper practice of religion right. You know, Job's not saying, well, I've fasted better than Bildad. I know the Bible better than he does. I pray better than he does. Or I've done this or that ritual in the church better. No, Job's just saying, at the end of the day, I'm a messed up man and I got Jesus. <laughs> and that's enough. And today I'm, I'm inviting you to just, will you trust in Jesus? Put your confidence in him. Um, know someone who's gone through suffering and defeated it. That's what's so unique about our Redeemer. Like he knows what the dust, he knows what the dust is like because he was there. He was wrapped in the shroud and buried. He knows what the dust is like. And he sprung from death and destroyed all that. You have all that confidence in him. So turn to him and believe that he's Lord of all. He's risen and victorious for all time. And if you're someone who trusts in this, um, I think on one level I wanna lift your eyes to eternity. At last, he shall stand upon the earth. Like someday when everything else is burned away, like the one who's gonna remain is the savior of our souls, the one who's loved us. So we have to have eternity in view. We have to know that he's gonna last forever and it, it's gonna mean maybe a mess up short term here for all kinds of reasons, but he's got this. He's gonna vindicate us in the end. Uh, hopefully you can find faithful friends to walk with you in suffering. Um, so I think that's an application here too. Find your six, find your people who are gonna walk with you and hopefully we're that kind of people as the body. Again, not that we perfectly embody that, but man, we wanna, we wanna strive to be faithful to walk with people through suffering. Um, when the dust of suffering settles though, rest in your Redeemer. I mean, that's what I wanna encourage you with, rest in your Redeemer. You know, when we took the Lord's Supper today, we weren't, 
like toasting better times or, or eating to turning over a new leaf tomorrow. No, we were, we were looking to Jesus. We were looking to our Redeemer. Uh, Julian of Norwich, who's a woman of faith from the 1300s, famously said this, and we know how she could say such a thing as this after this sermon. She said, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. Well, how does she say that? Because she knew that at the last, her Redeemer would be standing upon the earth. What gave her confidence and what anchors us is that no matter what we face in this world, as Paul wrote in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Our reality, just like it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This sufferings, that's the norm, that's what we know. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Redeemer who's standing in the dust at the end. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Redeemer lives, and he stands forever to vindicate his people. So we know him, and we get the privilege of making him known to others. So might we be able to rest in this truth that he's conquered suffering and death, that we may be a people who glorify and enjoy him forever.